all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy season three to all of us who journeyed together on this podcast. We are now almost to 50 episodes. I cannot believe that. I feel like we need to have like a party or something. The other day, as I was mentoring the women worship leaders that I meet with through Worship Circle, we had a little Q&A time to end our six-month session together. And one of them asked, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? She asked me that, and I blurted out my podcast. (laughs) Hands down, if I had known how brave it actually was when I started this thing, I might not have been so brave after all. So thank you so much for all of your encouragement to me as I've continued to be brave in moving ahead with the seasons and asking God for new themes and new ways to communicate His truths. It's been such a great ride. I've loved it. If you're a patron of the podcast, you've journeyed with us all summer, and we got to dig in some deep wells together in the Psalms, which personally was so rich in my life during that time, and I needed it sort of to kind of stay tethered spiritually. If you'd like to catch up on all those episodes, you can by becoming a patron of the podcast on patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I feel like I always need to spell it. Patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. By becoming a patron, you will get to follow along with us during those summer months when I kind of go small and quiet during that time. But also becoming a patron means that you become a monthly supporter of this podcast, which blesses us beyond belief. Patrons will be the first to know about tour dates and VIP ticketing coming up. Patrons are basically also my prayer team because often I feel the liberty to reach out to a smaller group of people with a more personal request. And it's become like a little family over the last year or so. In fact, I met a girl last night that's a patron and it was so sweet. I was at a conference. She actually went to the church that I was at this conference for and she heard me singing just in the hallway. She wasn't attending the conference, and she came up to me, and she said, I walked by. I heard your voice. I recognized it. She's like, I'm a patron of your podcast, and she was with a friend, and we ended up just kind of chatting, and the three of us kind of even teared up over some things. It felt like this little moment where we were meeting as family, and she asked how she could pray for me, and so I just told her, and they prayed for me right there on the spot. It was really precious, so I've enjoyed getting to know some of you who are patrons, and thank you so much for your support. But anyway, you will get the podcast delivered to you before the rest of the world, plus a little personal study guide that I've called journal prompts up until now, but I've officially started referring to them as prayers and ponderings. I know that ponderings isn't really a word. I mean, pondering is a word and it's a verb, but I have a thing I figured out where I like to use verbs as nouns, like the word stirring. I made it a noun too, and I made it plural, which I'm now doing with the word pondering. I think part of the glorious in our mundane is identifying the ponderings of our hearts and our minds, what we can ponder on. What verbs can we make nouns in our lives? And by that, I mean when all our doings and the busyness at hand come together as truth, as a compass, when things in our peripheral that need to be pulled front and center come and do that, and they become a person, place, or thing rather than a fleeting thought or a momentary action. In our case as believers, they become hopefully most often a person, front and center, Jesus. All the things we are doing and carrying, they come rest underneath 
His truth, His way. Not a truth that ebbs and flows with the times, thank God, but an ancient truth. As in, there are no new truths under the sun, but there's an ancient truth, an age-old path that we walk today. Prayers and ponderings. These we can hone in on, and that's what I hope to offer through that resource. Not further busy work by any means, but just something that prompts you to go a little bit deeper. Well, here we are in our fourth week of homeschool here at the Homestead. If you're listening to iTunes, it'll be our fifth week into school. I was describing to the patrons last episode about our homeschool setup and that all three of our kids are homeschooling this year, including Noah, who is a senior this year, if you can believe that. He's been in public school for the last three years, but decided this year that he wanted to finish at home. We actually let him make the decision since it was a big one. But you may have seen that Noah turned 18 in July, but still had a senior year ahead of him, of course, and he only lacks four credits to graduate, and one of those is a music credit. Noah has been playing acoustic guitar for us on the road some this summer. He's a drummer, too, but he's been playing acoustic, and since now that he's homeschooling, he's actually going to come on the road with us this fall as well. In fact, he'll be out with us in October when Nathan and I hit the road again with Miss Jenny Allen for the Freedom Project Tour, which we are so excited about. We're going to be on the East Coast this time, and we cannot wait to get out and come see all of you, be sure to go to freedomprojecttour.com to see if we're in a city near you. I would love to see you and hug your neck afterwards. But speaking of our kids, just the other day, I went through a huge box of pictures that were all jumbled up in a box in our art room. Yes, we have an art room because our home upstairs doesn't actually make much sense. It's a weird layout, and it's probably why it didn't sell for forever, and also why when we lowballed them that they actually took it. But one of its weird characteristics is this little tiny room upstairs that sits at the front of our home. It has no door on it. And it's not big enough for anyone to live in it, really. So anyway, at first, it was my office, which I then figured out that because I'm a mama, my office is my entire home. And there's not very many occasions that I can actually go upstairs into an office and get lost in all that I've got to get done that day. My office is my farm table in my kitchen while everyone is homeschooling around me and making their own lunch, I might add. All of you young mamas, it's coming, I promise. Did you know that you can actually teach your kids to do their laundry and make their own lunch? It's awesome. It's called Life Prep 101, and I offer it in my personal homeschool. (laughs) Out of necessity, of course. But anyway, in this box full of pictures, there were photos of Nathan and I when we were little, mixed with pictures of each of our own kids as babies at every stage up until now, along with loads of Christmas family photos gone by and friends and other families' Christmas pictures. And I decided just to sit there and sort them all. This was one of the best things that I could have done going into this season of having our Noah here at least one last year. We have a little time left to make this time really count with him, but seeing all of those photos helped me put some framework around this season for what this time needs to be about. Seeing all their chubby little cheeks and their diaper sags. One photo was of Annie Rose on the front porch with a diaper sag going and also one booty cheek hanging out on one side of her diaper sag. And it was just such a great reminder of how fast it all goes, that this life is just such a breath, truly. 
the other night, the girls and I were in the car and that Trace Adkins song comes on called You're Gonna Miss This. And I was like, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> Listening to it with them in the car with me caused the words to sink in even deeper. The chorus says, you're gonna miss this. You're gonna want this back. You're gonna wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. These are some good times. So take a good look around. You may not know it now, but you're going to miss this. It's exactly what Nathan tells me every time I have to wipe my kitchen cabinets clean again from slime and whatever concoction that Annie has come up with that day. Or the other day when I looked over, right in the middle of the kitchen floor was one of those huge bouncy balls that you sit on and you like bounce around the house, which I'm the one who bought them for the kids on purpose because they were all just on the cusp of outgrowing toys like that. And here I was mad that it was right in the middle of our kitchen. The truth is, though, it won't be very long at all that I realized that I would do just about anything to find a huge bouncy ball in my kitchen. Or someday when our basement is void of blankets and popcorn and Coke cans all over the floor, I know what I'll say is that I'd give anything for it to be the teeming hub of our teenagers once more. Last Saturday night, Nathan and I got a little taste of what that might be like. Both of our girls ended up staying the night with a family in our church. In fact, they had a girls' day all day for their friend's birthday and then spent the night. So I had a Saturday all to myself to get so many house projects done that I've been wanting to get done kind of guilt-free. And Noah had to work from about 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. that night as well. So Nathan and I texted our favorite restaurant, got a reservation, and we went on a date. But we strolled downtown Franklin afterwards, right around dusk, to get some ice cream at our favorite sweet spot. And as we walked down the sidewalk holding hands, Nathan kind of pulled away from me really quickly. And I turned around and I saw that Nate had actually seen Noah parked in front of the local pizza place, waiting for his next order to be ready. He works for Delivery Dudes, so he was sitting there eating a gigantic ice cream cone in his car, waiting to pick up his order. (laughs) He rolled down his window and we got to tease him a little which was really just us doting on him and playing with him, that he was all grown up and on the job. Noah was all smiles. He was seriously the cutest thing. And by the way, can I just say, if you use delivery dudes in your local town, please tip those people. Those people are boys like my Noah who want to work hard and do a good job. He came home last night and it was a bit discouraging. He had had some good days working with good tips, but then every once in a while, like the other night, he'll drive like 20 minutes and get like a $3 tip. Nathan and I just have to sit there and bite our lips, trying not to say anything and just let him feel all the things about his first real job. (laughs) Anyway, as Nathan and I walked away and talked about how good it was to see our boy having to figure out stuff and get a job, We strolled in what felt like our own little Paris as an old man sat on a bench nearby, filling up all of downtown Franklin with his accordion playing. There was a little bit of magic in the air, I'm not going to lie, even for just a moment. But both of us walked together in a season where, honestly, we each have a lot on our plates. It's all good stuff, but we're both creating content. Some of that is for the things that we're carrying, this podcast being one of them, But some of it, we're helping others right now, too. So there's deadlines and things that people are counting on from us. But if there's anything that I've learned, it's how important it is to have framework around our seasons. It's to look at all the things we are carrying and say, Jesus, help me see what's most important. 
What needs to come first? For me, my children's faces always come to view. This season is just so important. What does it matter who I mentor if I'm not first mentoring my kids? Walking with them right where they are is what God has shown me is most important in this season. And it's a bullseye kind of trust for me here. If you've listened to early podcasts, you understand what I'm saying. It's if I lean into this first, then I get to trust God with all the other things I'm carrying. He gives focus to all the madness by saying it's this one thing or it's these top three things in this order. And then I hear him just say, trust me with the rest. I'll help you get it all done. This podcast is such a great example of that. Would I have loved to have released this podcast much earlier in September? Absolutely. But it's one of those things I just have to trust God with the timing of all of it as I'm leaning into what He's asked me to lean into first. So that's where I'm at this school year, carrying some big things, yes, things that will unfold in due time. But the biggest thing I'm carrying are my offspring, my kids. We think we carry them for nine months, but it turns out we actually intentionally carry them much longer until we can get them to a place of being carried. I know my parents accomplished this in my life in such a beautiful way. Somehow I was raised with the awareness that the goal at the end of the day is not to get out on my own. The goal was stepping out from underneath my parents' umbrella of protection and stepping straight underneath my Heavenly Father's protection. So there's still a covering, but my parents now just get the joy of knowing they safely led me to that covering, and they no longer have to be that covering for me. They get to enjoy the fact that I made it safely underneath the covering of my Heavenly Father. But anyway, speaking of carrying things, the older I get, I'm more and more convinced that we're all supposed to carry some things, very important things from our childhood years into our adult years, from one umbrella to the other. Unfortunately for many of us, childhood was maybe confusing at best. I'm thinking of this constant sense that everything we needed to know, we just had to sort of figure out blindly on our own. Or maybe for some of us, childhood was very painful, and there's not any part of it you want to carry with you anymore. Maybe you never experienced anything that felt like an umbrella of protection Regardless of our upbringing, I believe that there's places in our childhood that we're supposed to bring with us on the journey. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 said, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So there is this truth that we need to mature and move on beyond our childish behavior. But then there's sort of this dichotomy when we see Jesus in Matthew 18, when the disciples ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It says that calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven basically means where Christ reigns, where His way, or as Maxie Dunham would say, one of my favorite authors, the kingdom of God, it's the reigning activity of Christ in the human hearts and society. So Jesus is saying, to be in the environment where my activity reigns, I'm showing you, come like a child. I think simple faith here, a sense of awe and wonder 
that many of us have either lost or grown numb to. I don't think Jesus is asking us to not think for ourselves or to not grow and mature. I just wonder if it's more that He's saying, grow and mature from a place of still having dependency upon me and all that you do. I don't know how many times recently that I've realized that it was actually my naivety to some things that ended up actually protecting me. This sort of thinking gets me thinking of my own children and how I can possibly help them steward this in a world that seems like it's crouching at the door to steal their innocence, their thought life, their competence, our competence for that matter, all of us, our sense of purpose and significance. It's got me thinking about the power of home and how it can be a sanctuary of safety for us from all that the world not only offers us, but basically spoon feeds or even shoves in our faces. I have to believe that my children's sense of home could possibly help them preserve things from their childhood and not run from them or numb out to them. One of the big things that I'm carrying right now is requiring a lot of me and going back through my entire story I've got some amazing people pastoring me through this process that I'll tell you more about a little later in this season, but one of those people is a guy named Seth Haynes, a kindred spirit, I must say. And as we were talking through my story, he reminded me of a song by Rich Mullins called Growing Young. If you don't know who Rich Mullins was, he was one of a kind, a songwriter, but really more of a philanthropist. He wrote the song Awesome God, as in when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the Ritz. <laughs> Our God is an awesome God. Rich was killed in a car accident on September 19th in 1997. So this month marks 21 years that he's been gone. Nathan and I could tell you right where we were standing in the middle of a worship service at a Kevin Prosh concert when it was announced from the stage. The entire audience gasped and many people started just weeping out loud. He was well-loved, but at the core of his song, Growing Young, Rich touches on what I'm talking about here, staying in the posture, or for some of us, not being afraid to return to the posture of a child. He says, I've gone so far from my home. I've seen the world, and I have known so many secrets I wish now I did not know, because they've crept into my heart. They've left it cold and dark and bleeding, bleeding and falling apart. And everybody used to tell me, big boys don't cry. Well, I've been around enough to know that that was the lie that held back the tears in the eyes of a thousand prodigal sons. Well, we are children no more. We have sinned and grown old, and our father still waits, and he watches down the road to see the crying boys come running back to his arms and be growing young growing young. I've seen silver turn to dross, seen the very best there ever was, and I'll tell you, it ain't worth what it costs. And I remember my father's house, what I wouldn't give right now just to see him and hear him tell me that he loves me so much. And everybody used to tell me, big boys don't cry. Well, I've been around enough to know that that was the lie that held back the tears in the eyes of a thousand prodigal sons. Well, we are children no more. We have sinned and grown old, and our father still waits, and he watches down the road to see the crying boys 
come running back to his arms. And when I thought that I was all alone, it was your voice I heard calling me back home. And I wonder now, Lord, what it was that made me wait too long and what kept you waiting for me all that time was your love stronger than my foolish pride. Will you take me back now? Take me back and let me be your child because I've been broken now. I've been saved. I've learned to cry and I've learned how to pray and I'm learning. I'm learning. Even I can be changed. We are children no more. We have sinned and grown old and our father still waits and he watches down the road to see the crying boys come running back to his arms and be growing young, growing young. I was sitting here thinking as I was reading that, that it's not just a metaphor to say, we are children no more, we have sinned and grown old. This is what Christ came for. It was sin, after all, that caused a perfect intimacy with the Father to be cut off. No more walks in the cool of the garden. Sin caused us to run and hide and be ashamed and try to cover ourselves. Christ came so that we could grow young, that we could return home like a child, even after we may have ventured away and even grown old. What was once withering away in the soul can now be reborn, fresh and new. Our theme this fall, leading us all the way into the most wonderful time of the year, will be around our sense of home. In fact, I'm calling this season, There's No Place Like Home. As always, we won't stop at just the tangible aspects of home, which we'll do some of that and it'll be really fun. But we will very much delve into the home that God is for us. And also, because we are made in His image, we'll delve into the home that He is building in us. It doesn't hurt that it's my favorite time of year. Autumn and the way that it leads into winter is absolutely show-stopping here in Tennessee. So I'm a bit on the edge of my seat as we journey into this together. There's so much about this theme that seeps into every part of our lives and in every season of our lives. Our sense of home is so crucial that we have a place to recoup, to be held, to be known, a place to emerge from where we learned about ourselves and what we have to offer, but also a place where all those verbs become a noun, most importantly, a person, So there's an inward dwelling we call home as well as an outward dwelling that reflects that. My sweet friend Lauren Tomlin gave me a beautiful coffee table book when we first moved back to Tennessee called The Home Within Us by Bobby McAlpine. It's a gorgeous book full of mostly pictures of homes that he has designed and built for people with such intentionality and care. But there's a few places throughout that he shares about where his creativity in creating a sense of home was really birthed. And I love this. He says, the world outside us issues an invitation to question reality. And ultimately, it forces us home. He says, where is the place that mirrors our hearts? Where are we when we feel held and protected and whispered to? Where does the content of our intimate exchanges ring most true? By answering the questions of our hearts, the stronger among us become agents of change, making choices that advance the marriage of our interior and exterior lives. I think of the house as cure, always, a safe place to mend from the demands of an insisting world.
I so love it when someone helps me put language around something that's so deep in my heart, something that I've realized that I've innately done since I was a teenager, in fact, longing to marry the interior and the exterior of my life. Subconsciously, I've done this in every space that I've ever lived in, at least since I remember becoming aware of the things that were even in my heart. In high school, looking back now, I think that was the first time that I wanted my room to somehow reflect what was going on on the inside of me, even though, like I said, I couldn't have articulated that at the time. I just remember wanting the walls of my room to be warmer and darker in a sense that it sort of held me, a place of quiet and safety. I asked my mom if I could do something different to my room. I think it was around my sophomore year, and I don't know where I got my inspiration. Somehow, we all survived in the 80s and 90s without Pinterest. And of course, Country Living Magazine, looking back at the time, that was just full of like grandma's apple pie recipes and how to stencil a rooster border around your kitchen. (laughs) So I don't know where I got that idea or if my mom was even ready for it when I told her that I wanted to paint all four walls of my not-so-large room, Hunter Green. At the time, it was that Ralph Lauren equestrian green. I remember I picked out a dark green and red rose Laura Ashley bedspread that looked like it was straight out of a Jane Austen film. Be assured that my inspiration came from a Hunter Green Ralph Lauren turtleneck that I loved that I wore with my rustic red jeans. I think I wore that maybe in our engagement picture, if I'm not mistaken, complete with my rustic red lipstick to match. Am I taking you back to the early 90s yet? (laughs) Some of you weren't even born or you were toddlers, but I remember the first time I ever left home and how important it was to me that my dorm room also get set up just right. If my roommate from college, Wendy Stiefel, is listening right now, she's going to get a good laugh over this one. Again, I didn't realize that I was doing it, but I guess I developed pretty early on the need to have a sense of order in my living space. And trust me, I don't mean being tidy with organization. I mean colors and hues and textures. Looking back, I'm sure I drove her absolutely crazy. I'm sorry, Wendy. Thank you for still loving me after all this time. You guys would literally crack up, though, if I showed you a picture of our dorm room. In fact, I might have to try to dig one out for you so something you can see it. But I don't really know why or how, but somehow Wendy got on board with this decorating plan that we would have matching pink and teal bedspreads with huge roses on them. I loved roses, and I still do. Hello, podcast branding. But I had this crazy idea to put a lattice border around our room. As in like where a wallpaper border would go. But my dad came in and nailed an actual lattice border that was like 10 inches in width. And then I wove fake ivy, probably from my favorite store, Hobby Lobby, all the way through it. And we were set. Trust me, a lot of girls came in and they admired our room. But I will say looking back, it looked like Laura Ashley herself came in and threw up in our dorm room. (laughs) I do remember getting our bedspreads at Walmart, though, so they were just Laura Ashley knockoffs. But hey, it's still about the thrill of the find for me. But through the years, I've tried to pinpoint what my sense of style is and what that reflects about me. What does the exterior say about my interior, since that's apparently a thing? But if I had to nail down my style, my sense of style, I think I'd say it's eclectic country, but definitely 
a nod towards English country. When I think about it, there's not much new about England, and I think that's what I love. It's one of my favorite places to visit. So rich in history and so romantic, and of course, the best Indian food on the planet. It's heavenly. When visiting friends who've lived in cottages there, there's just this lived-in sense about the spaces. I love the not-so-put-togetherness of an English cottage. It's this odd collision of the old and the new, and I think that's what melts my heart every time. My sister-in-law, Kristen, Amaryllis Kristen, she cracks up at me over this one. And one year, I planned Ellie's birthday party, which was around Christmas, because that's when her birthday is. And I don't remember what the party theme was. I just remember we were laughing because it was like a little bit Barbie and a little bit Victorian. (laughs) It's always the old with the new for me. Maybe that's what I hope that my exterior says about my interior. Forward remembrance. Singing a new song always, but the essence of where the new song comes from is hopefully always dipped in something ancient that's not only lasting, but firm and fixed and not moving, and it's unwavering. All around my home, I try to create little vignettes that are simply stated, some that are just thought-provoking to my children or just heartwarming to them. For instance, some of our hall closets out here, I've actually left both doors open, and we painted the inside of the closet. We put lamps and books on shelves inside the closet, and it just becomes this little nook. I know Nathan just cringed. He hates when I use like words like nook. But <laughs> we keep a basket of blankets in the bottom of that little nook, blankets that get used every single night, even in the summer. There's music in our home pretty much all the time, whether that's the faint sound of Noah serenading us with Fly On by Coldplay coming from the basement upright piano. Or it's our Sonos player that works sometimes because our internet is Well, not even really internet, but you know, we don't have broad internet out here, right? I've told you this before. Surely I have. We live off of hotspots that live off of one bar of LTE. Somehow we manage. I believe it's also one of the ways that God actually hymns us in out here at Keeper's Branch, which I think is kind of sweet. And we just kind of go with it. But when the Sonos player works, it pumps music through the main areas of our house But we also keep a record player right inside that little closet I was talking about. We keep that on hand, too, because it gets used weekly as well. Because some records you just need to have on vinyl. And vinyl records pump a different kind of sound through your home. It's the old and the new. I love warm colors. In the late 90s and early 2000s, this resulted in me painting all the walls in my home darker colors, or at least warm colors. Lots of warm greens and blues. I remember I used to record the show West Wing, and I would pause it on this one room in the set because it was the most beautiful blue, like a presidential blue. Not a bright one, but like a warm one, and that was the color of our bedroom. And I remember we also painted our first dining room sort of a creamy tomato basil color. I loved it. I loved all the warm colors, but I'll never forget when I finally had an epiphany that I kind of realized I had an issue. My friend Lindsay actually pointed it out to me. She said, you know you have like an issue with hoarding lamps, right? She was like, seriously, I think you have 67 lamps in this house. (laughs) 
After that, I started realizing I actually hoarded other things too, like pillows and shams and throw blankets. I had about 167 of those. So I began to realize that I was a textile junkie. I absolutely love the way that colors and patterns work together. It actually speaks to me and makes me feel a certain way. I don't know how to really, truly explain it. Those of you out there who have this, you know what I'm saying. And those of you who don't, I sort of envy you in a way. Sometimes I think I'd actually like to crawl inside of your brain that doesn't work like mine and just see how much I might get done. (laughs) But when Country Home Magazine and Country Living did modernize a bit and there came this movement of the farmhouse chic thing, including Rachel Ashwell's shabby chic, Like before it was a line in Target, it was a way of living for Rachel Ashwell, who is from England, I might add. But this sort of bring the outside in way of living started to be a thing, cutting fresh wildflowers from your garden and plopping them in a white pitcher that's used for pouring water for guests, a kind of lived in casual elegance that made the simple way of life look like luxury. Modern country brought with it this idea that white walls could become a canvas in your home. And once I saw that, I was ruined forever. Eventually, Nathan had to paint every room in our house, our entire home, white. A warm white, I will add. And we've carried that palette into every home since. Our walls are the good old OC17 White Dove by Benjamin Moore. But the real warmth I've discovered comes from all those fabrics and textures and the furniture lines and how the white serves as this beautiful, clean backdrop for my eclectic love of collecting randomness and how tiny pieces of everything sort of come together to make a statement. And I guess somehow the white walls like just lets me have more textures and fabrics and I love it. I don't talk about the Enneagram much on this podcast, partly because everyone else is, and that's mostly because I'm a four. The fact that I'm a four makes me not want to talk about the Enneagram because everyone else is. In fact, it takes fours a long time to even admit that they're a type of a personality, but when they finally do realize that they are actually textbook, they might say something like, well, I bet Jesus was a four. (laughs) I'm a four on the Enneagram, which means I'm an individualist or an artist. I'm a four with a five wing, if any of you guys care about that. I'll choose to not rabbit hole there right now, even though I'd love to. But fours are the romantic type, and we need to know that there's deep meaning to our lives, literally in everything we do. Fours are very, very tuned into aesthetics and environment, which is why I've told you that every overhead light in our home is on a dimmer. It's why we have old and new ways of playing music throughout our home, as I said. There's this lived-in, affectionate-type feel to our home. I can't have things too tidy, but then again, to be able to work creatively, I need for things to be in order for the most part, even if that's textures and colors around me that just speak to me. 
If you've ever taken the Bergman, which is an amazing occupational and behavioral assessment that helps you understand your motivational needs, and honestly, it just gives you a better self-awareness around others. In fact, I knew right away what I was on the Enneagram, almost based completely on the fact that I had done the Berkman already. My brother, Eric Hill, who's certified to take people through the Berkman test, I remember when he read through my results with me, I actually cried. I cried a lot. It's so helped to shed some light on some things that I did and honestly even felt some shame over. But I was able to see that I did those things and I felt those things for a reason. One of those things is that I have a deep need for order. In fact, even though I scored highest as an artist and then a musician, I was actually thirdly clerical. That may not always play out in my home being orderly, but what I've found is that songwriting can actually be bringing order to something or how I probably annoy my manager, Matt, to no end and how detailed I can get over the wording of a simple Instagram post. That's the clerical in me rising up mixed with the artist that needs it to also be very meaningful and beautiful. (laughs) But I've found that in this, my home can become a sense of safety, yes, but also a sense of stress all at the same time. Because I do rely heavily on aesthetics in my creative world, I do desire and long for beauty like all the time. And when I'm not around beauty, my heart will actually begin to sink after too long. When my home is a wreck and it's disorderly, sometimes I literally can't pull myself together to get things done. I need a sense of order. But like I said, that might just need to look like me finding a space where I can just have some fresh flowers, a candle lit, a few old books to ponder through, and a few throw pillows. It might just look like that. As far as the stress goes, I've learned that I need to quickly get a handle on it or I will spiral. Lately for me, I'm realizing that part of me pushing back the stress is giving myself more time, in the mornings especially, to just be a little bit more leisure. I need to feel a sense of freedom. So I'm trying to wake up earlier, get fully dressed before I go out and get my coffee, I clear out the homeschool area. I light candles. I turn on our white noise maker around the homeschool area too. I know I'm weird, but it calms everyone. It calms me. I make sure everyone has everything they need before we start our day. Does it always work? No, but it does a lot of the time. And that's good enough for me, honestly. One overarching thing that I've learned is about consecrating seasons and spaces. We've talked a lot about this when we were going through the heart postures. The first one was the consecrated heart, wasn't it? Well, I feel the same about seasons and spaces. Nathan and I recently hung a sign over our front door outside that says Keeper's Branch, hand-painted by the lovely Amy Weaver. You should check out her work. You can commission her to hand-paint something for you, and you can find her at Amy Weaver Designs. Her work is beautiful. She spells it fancifully, A-I-M-E-E. So look for Amy Weaver on Instagram. I've shared a lot about our move in 2015 and how it was a massive leap of faith for us. It was a coming home of sorts for us in so many ways. It's hard to even describe it. I know I've talked about it some before, but part of moving into this home, in fact, came out of God's provision from a home that we sold back in 2008. So even the means to purchase this home came from a miracle God did when we sold that house. See, coming back to Franklin for us was one more step 
and the growing young journey for both Nathan and I. It was a tangible step in us placing our trust back in our Father, stepping away from some things we realized that we had held to, things that were good and safe and prosperous, but easy to trust in, easy to hang our hat on, easy to hide in. And God was saying, do you really trust me, child? Are you willing to grow young back towards me like a child? Trusting your father will supply your every need. Keeper's Branch is a play on our street name, but it ultimately comes around this idea that we branched out under our keeper and under our keeper alone. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. With this sense that we are our keeper's branch, I can't help but to also go to John 15 where we are called his branches. Verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I can't help but think how important it is to bring this truth into the place we call home, that we have a keeper who never sleeps or slumbers or grows weary on us. As we sleep, he keeps us. As we grow weary, he keeps us. When we leave, he keeps us. When we go back in, he keeps us. So my heart in naming and even putting the banner over our door is to consecrate both this season of our lives and the space He's given us, all 12 acres of it, to Him, our keeper, and to remember that apart from Him, we don't really function at all or truly live. One of the things we did before we hung the sign this past weekend was we took the opportunity to pray over the house again, to consecrate again the space and the season to God that it belongs to Him, And that we're recognizing that with our hearts, yes, and also with our mouths, confessing that it does belong to Him. I've learned a lot about consecration and prayer through listening to John Eldridge, as I've said before, and reading his book called Moving Mountains, which is all about prayer. But the idea is praying and bringing your life continually and your home under the authority of Jesus. And it's good to do that in the marking of our seasons as well. So as we journey together over the next few months, we'll sort of toggle back and forth between our interior and exterior lives and how the two can be married, the home of the soul and a sense of place, be it even ever so small. I'm excited about some guests that we're going to have this coming season. I'll be setting up each interview with a lot of insight, of course, around our theme. And then I'm excited to sit down with a few friends of mine who I think will bring something really special to this theme. The hope is that we'll answer some of the questions of our hearts as it pertains to our sense of home, especially the home of the soul. And the beauty is that we might become agents of change, change for ourselves, to find rest for our weary souls day to day in the presence of Jesus. And then, of course, 
to invite others into that space, into our familiar, as we've talked about before, and living lives of welcome. Before I go, I wanted to let you know that we've announced our Christmas dates for the Night of Hope, a family Christmas tour this year. The first four nights of the tour, we are going to get to partner with the lovely Ann Bosskamp. I couldn't be more excited about that. I love Ann's intentionality in the adoration of Christ, just in her everyday life and also in the resources that she puts out. And we're getting to come around some of the Christmas resources that she's created for families, which is really art, in my opinion. So be sure and note which nights those are. Our children will be participating in the night again this year. After all, it is called a family Christmas, as well as my best friend, Molly Moody, who is an amazing worship leader and songwriter. Molly's releasing her first solo album on October 5th, which I'm, of course, so thrilled about because we've been telling Molly that it was time for her to do this project, and we've waited a really long time for it. We're so excited that she's releasing it and that she's going to get to come on tour with us. She's Aunt Molly to my kids for sure. So they are just actually excited about her just being on the bus. I think they've already planned out all the Christmas movies that they're going to watch on the bus each night. Trust me. <laughs> you can find all the dates on the website, christinockles.com. The four dates that we'll be partnering with Ann Boskamp are St. Louis, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, and Chicago. And then the rest of the tour picks up in our hometown of Franklin, Tennessee. Yes, right here at home, we're getting to play at the Historic Theater in downtown Franklin, and I'm absolutely beside myself over that. Then we'll be in Greenville, Atlanta, Youngstown, Memphis, and Houston after that. As always, there will be VIP ticket options where we'll get to spend some time together, so be sure to look at those. Tickets go on sale Monday, October 1st. I can't believe we're already talking about Christmas, but it's never too early to be thinking about what kind of family experiences you want to have together around Christmas. I know I've realized more and more that I've got to be intentional in that for myself. Our hope that these nights is for us to come and experience the beauty of Christ together as families. You don't have to be married and have kids, of course, to feel a part of the night, of course, because we're the family of God. And our hope for these nights is that we'll experience laughter and fun, but yet stillness and awe, all at the same time, and come around the truth that hope has come. And celebrating Jesus together at Christmas time as a community is truly a beautiful thing. We are so excited. We can't wait. Just wanted to let you know about it. I'll talk to you soon.